You know, I love Christmas, and as a, uh, as a pastor, Christmas is fun because people are drawn to spiritual things and drawn to the Christmas story and drawn to the life of Jesus at Christmas time. But there are, all, there are also some other fun aspects of being a pastor uh, in that you get to, like the baby dedications. In the last two weeks, uh, we've dedicated 10 babies, uh, an important thing. Since our church has begun about 15 months ago, we've baptized nearly 60 people. Uh, I've had the chance to marry many couples uh, who are here today uh, and go to the hospital when babies are born and to pray with babies and, and to go and, uh, and be with people when they're having surgery. There, there are some really cool aspects of being a pastor where you get to be with people during some of their biggest times. But here's what I'm learning about the big times in the life of people. Important things in the life of people are always announced. Uh, important things are always announced. Will you say that with me? Important things are always, one more time, important things, important things are always announced. I'm beginning to get Christmas cards from people now. Now it's, it seems like everything is announced with Facebook and Twitter and, and MySpace and Pinterest and Instagram. And if you're over the age of 40, none of those things even make sense to you. But now people announce what they have for breakfast and lunch and dinner and what they're going to wear and how the weather is. But important things have always been announced. And as we find ourselves in week three of this series, this Christmas Bible teaching series called The Big Miracle, we've looked at what we call the biggest rescue in the history of the earth, which is the Christmas story. We looked last week at the, at the big prediction. What did God say that Jesus being born actually meant for us personally. And, and we kind of broke down Isaiah 9, 6, what God with us means from Isaiah 7, 14. If you didn't get a chance to catch last week's message, I hope maybe you'll go back on our internet site and watch it because we learned some really cool stuff about the Christmas story. But today we come to the big announcement because important things are always announced. And when Jesus was born a little over 2,000 years ago in a little town outside of Bethlehem, it was announced to the world what was going on because important things are always announced. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 1 today because we're going to today begin to study the story of the birth of Jesus. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They have Bibles. We, we love as a church. Every Sunday we open our Bible. We read our Bible. We mark in our Bible. We're, we're here together to study and learn the Bible. Uh, and if you forgot your Bible, if you don't have a Bible... Our ushers will give you one. All you got to do is wave at them. We've given away more than 300 that people have taken and taken home with them. So if you just forgot yours or if you don't know where yours is or if you just, hey, if you just want a free Bible, who, who doesn't like free stuff? Raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Put your name in it. This is yours to keep. I encourage you. Go home and begin to read it. You will learn about God and Christianity and why we do the things we do. If you're pretty new to church, you'll learn a lot of who we are and what we do j just by reading your Bible. But today we're in the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor, uh, a medical doctor who was close to some of Jesus' friends, who he was also a historian, a very well-educated man. So he decided in his life, he had some friends who had asked him about Jesus, and he decided one particular friend, his name was Theophilus, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to write down everything for you that I can remember about Jesus. And we have it recorded in what's called the New Testament of our Bible. In the book of Luke, Luke, we think, went and interviewed people personally and said, tell me exactly how this happened. So as we begin to read the Christmas story today through the eyes of Mary, and by the way, if any of you in this room are Catholic, or if any of you were raised Catholic, or any of you went to a Catholic school, you're going to find out the money text on Mary. Why is Mary so important of all the people of the world? We begin to find out how much God thought of Mary in Luke chapter 1. So this is, for those of you who grew up in a Catholic world, or maybe now you go to a Catholic church, Luke 1 is going to give you a, a real 
good reason why Mary is, is so important because God chose her as we begin the Christmas story. But in Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 through 38, we see the very first announcement of what is getting ready to happen, a holiday that we now celebrate as Christmas. And it says this in, in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. I'll give you a little context in our first verse just to catch you up, and then we'll read through it. It says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, just so you know, if you're familiar with church or not familiar with church, Elizabeth was pregnant with a little baby who would become John the Baptist. She was six months pregnant with John the Baptist when Mary became pregnant with Jesus. They were cousins. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. How do you know all that? From that verse right there. So that, that's what we're talking about in Luke one twenty six. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so John the Baptist was now six months old and inside his mom. We have several pregnant ladies in our congregation. Some of you may be nearing that 24-week period. This is about how pregnant Elizabeth is. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. If you have your pen and you want to underline those two words, highly favored, and we should have handed you a pen when you walked in today and something to take notes on, those words, highly favored, it could be translated, you're one of God's favorites. I think that's one of the coolest things that could ever be said to any human being ever. Hey, just want you to know you're one of God's favorites. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, it's really interesting that 2,000 years ago, when God wanted to make known that Jesus was coming into the world, and not only that Jesus was coming into the world, but exactly what Jesus' role would be in the world, God needed to make sure that it was announced so that people would understand who Jesus was, what he was doing, how he fit into their life, and how life with Jesus could change everything. I find it interesting that we are doing today, we are doing as a church what God did 2,000 years ago. We're still trying to help people understand who Jesus is, what it means to have Jesus in your life, how that can change your life, how Jesus fits into your life. But we find the very first time that it happened, God went over and above to make sure that people got the message, to make sure that people got the announcement that Jesus was here. And I want to talk to you about the big announcement and what it means to you and I spiritually as we celebrate Christmas in two days. And we celebrate not only Santa bringing the gifts and the elf on the shelf that has toilet papered our house and eaten our foods and done all the other crazy things that the elf on the shelf is doing at my house and at your house. And as, as we just celebrate eating Christmas cookies and having Christmas with 14 different family members at 12 different places and gaining five pounds. I mean, as we get ready to do all of that, 
it's important that we understand what God wanted us to know and remember about Christmas, about Jesus, and it's important that we carry, carry this on. So as we look at the big announcement, I need you to know two things about it that I believe have, an, uh, that have the ability to impact our faith and the way that we live our faith. Number one, the big announcement from God to humanity that Jesus is here uh, came with very clear directions. I mean, it came with very clear direction. I said directions. It should be direction. It, it, it wasn't um, muddied at all. No one could say, oh, what, now, what was, it, what was his name? Jesus or Joseph? What was his name? I mean, it was very clear. Here's who's coming. Here's what's happening. Here's what this means for you. No one misunderstood who Jesus was or what his coming to planet Earth meant for anyone. As a matter of fact, as we read through the Christmas story, we find that God answers the who, what, when, where, why questions of Christmas. It's very clear direction. Here's what's getting ready to happen. God answered the who. You say, well, who, who was told? Well, the people first that needed to be told were told their names were Mary and their names were Joseph. We just read it in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. It was important for the mother of Jesus to know that he was coming and to know why he was coming. So it says, the angel came to Mary and said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. So who did God tell? God made sure the mother was aware. God made sure the father, Joseph, was aware. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and we're going to talk a little later about why God sent angels to do this, but it says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. It was very clear to Mary and Joseph that God had given them a son whose name would be Jesus and his role would be to be a savior for his people. Now, can you imagine finding out this way that you're pregnant? I mean, remember how you found out you were pregnant? You probably like went to the grocery store and bought a stick and peed on a stick and said, we're pregnant, right? I mean, it was way less exciting than this. I, I mean, I, I promise you. I remember where I was the, when, when I heard that my wife was pregnant for the first time. I, I used to, I, I did youth ministry for eight years, and three days a week after school, I had a little weight room in my basement, and I would have students that would come over, as many students that wanted I have anywhere from three to ten, and we would lift weights for a few hours, and we would do a Bible study and pray, and I was in a, the basement of this duplex that we had rented, filled with teenagers, and Danielle's upstairs with her little sister, and had bought the little, the little stick thing that, that you get from the, the grocery store or Walgreens or Costco or, or CVS or wherever. Um, and I remember being with those kids downstairs when she yelled downstairs, Christian, come here. And I came upstairs, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, we're pregnant. I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember calling my mom and dad. I remember calling Danielle's mom and dad. I remember we began to tell people. I remember how exciting it was. I remember the day we found out that Christian was going to be a boy and that Casey was going to be a girl. And, and so many of you are like that when you found out you were pregnant. I, we, we have a guy in our church who I'm friends with who I just happened to be with the day after he and his wife found out they were pregnant. And that excitement, that, that overwhelming, I mean, when some of you, some of you, when you found out you're pregnant, some of you laughed, some of you cried, some of you cussed, so, you know, some of you, I mean, it, you know, there's all kinds of different reactions to, oh, no, um, but we remember where we were when we found out we were pregnant. Mary, on the way home from school, somewhere in the middle of the road, Gabriel appears to her, Joseph in his house, sleeping. The direction was very clear. God told Mary, God told Joseph, 
you're going to have a baby. They would have posted this on their Facebook and their Twitter and their Instagram and their whatever. They were going to have a baby. And it was very clear, you're going to have a baby. Um, well, what, what was the purpose of the baby? Also, very, very clear direction from God. We see the who of Mary and Joseph. We see the what. The what was this? A Savior baby has come into the world. A Savior baby has come into the world. Now, I have met many young couples who their child was a Savior to their marriage was a savior to, I, I met couples who were estranged from in-laws and outlaws, and, and a baby literally brought a family back together. But this wasn't going to be the savior of a family. This was going to be the savior of the world. And remember, we talked about this last week, how Israel had been waiting on a baby that would not only be good for Israel, but that would be good for the world. And it's so interesting, in Luke chapter 2, if you kept, if you kept your Bible open, in Luke chapter 2, just one chapter over, when, when God sends his angels to tell the shepherds, what has happened, here's how God describes the baby in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. He says, today in the town of David, a, does he use the word baby? He said a savior. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. So not only Mary and Joseph, do you need to understand that you're going to have a baby, but the world needs to understand that this baby is not just another little boy born in Israel. This baby is going to be the savior of the world. Well, when is this going to happen? Well, we know the timetable is easy, right? Mary, you're pregnant. Nine months from now, you're going to have a baby. Well, where is this going to happen? Here, here's one of the coolest things about the birth of Jesus in the Bible. We know that the birth happened in Bethlehem. But we were just told as we read the Christmas story that Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. In April, a group of men from our church were in Israel, and we were working with some ministries that we're going to begin partnering with as a church. And we actually, in one day, drove from Nazareth down near the Dead Sea where Bethlehem would be located in today's West Bank. It's really kind of dangerous to go to Bethlehem today because it's in the West Bank and it's, it's a highly volatile area in the Middle East. But it seemed like it took us all day to drive, going 70 miles an hour from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You can imagine how difficult it was walking or riding on a donkey or riding in a cart that a donkey pulled or alongside a horse. This would have been very difficult travel. But here, here's what I find so interesting about this. 600 years before this baby was given to Mary and Joseph for the purpose of being the Savior of the world, there was a prophet in the Old Testament named Micah. And Micah told the people of Israel, listen, the, the Savior baby is coming. God's rescue for the world is coming. And when he comes, 600 years before he was born, when he comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, though you're just small among the clans of Judah, out of you is going to come the one who will be ruler of Israel. 600 years before Jesus was born, it was predicted that it would be in Bethlehem. Then we find out 600 years later, Israel is ruled by Rome, and the Roman governor says, we're going to do a census and find out how many people there are. Why? So I can figure out how many taxes to collect. And Joseph has to go register in Bethlehem right when his wife is pregnant. And what's so funny, when Jesus was born, and people began to say, a Savior has been born, it began to intimidate Herod, and Herod said, well, where, like, if... If this had happened, if the Savior of the world really was born, like where would it happen? And the Bible scholars came to him and said, if, if the Savior of the world was born, it would have had to happen in Bethlehem. And we find out that that's exactly where it is. It's in Bethlehem, in, in Micah 5, 2, and in Matthew 2, 5. And why was he born? I think someone forgot their phone on stage and is trying to find it by calling it because it's ringing behind me. It's an iPod. It's okay. I'm pretty good on my toes and on my feet. All right, I can't find it. 
it goes off again, I'm just going to start smashing things behind me because it's very distracting. I'm going to kick the drums, and it's going to be like a rock and roll concert. Where am I? Why was this baby born? Back with me now, people. Christmas time, elves on shelves and Santa Claus. Why was, why was this baby coming? Because the world needed a Savior. Is why. The primary purpose of this baby coming was because the world needed a Savior. Matthew chapter 2 uh, Matthew was writing about why Jesus came, and he gave a, an extremely interesting Old Testament verse about the state of Israel and the need for someone to help in life. And in Matthew 2.18, he said, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It, he stretched back, Matthew did, to a time in the Old Testament when when there was nothing that could save the people, when there was nothing that could comfort the people, when there was nothing that could shake the depression and the discouragement, when there was no hope and there was no future, the only thing they looked to is that one day, somehow, someplace, a Savior has to come and help us. And Matthew looked back and said that event was ended when Jesus came to be Savior. Now, let me ask you this question. Because some of you are in a Matthew 2.18 position today. Like you're getting ready to celebrate the most difficult Christmas of your life. Because it's the first Christmas without an ex-husband or an ex-wife. It's the first Christmas with split custody of the kids. It's the first Christmas without a a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, a, a loved one who passed away this year. It's the first Christmas that you've been unemployed and you haven't had enough money to buy gifts. It's the first Christmas that you've been estranged from family and not everyone's going to get together and eat turkey and drink eggnog. This is going to be a hard one. And you're, you're kind of in a place that maybe you're the only one in the world who knows this, but on the inside, your heart has no comfort and it just seems like there's nothing to shake the hopelessness. Matthew said, that's why this baby came. For people who are hopeless and they've got nowhere else to turn. Jesus was the Savior who was coming. Now in American history, we know all about important announcements. As a matter of fact, if I use the phrase, one of the most important announcements ever made on American soil was the announcements, the redcoats are coming, the redcoats are coming. And all of you who aren't even history buffs know that, who was the guy who said that? Paul Revere. Because big things get announced. And when, when Britain shows up on the shores it gets to announce what's going on. So Paul Revere rode through the countryside to help America get established. Listen, what Paul Revere said paled in comparison to what was being said about Jesus. Jesus is coming, and he has the ability to change the course of humanity as we know it. But it's interesting about how clear the direction was around the birth of Jesus because I feel like today um, the church, churches in general, Christians in general, I feel like we've, we've really muddied the waters of who Jesus is and what a Christian is and how Jesus loves people and what kind of people can be Christians and what type of people can't be Christians and who can be forgiven and who can't be forgiven. I, I feel like the church has done a bad job of clearly directing people to Jesus and then just letting Jesus figure, figure stuff out. I feel like we want Jesus to pick a political party so that, we, so that we would just know. And like Jesus is like so far above all that. He's like, are you crazy? Like I don't even pick countries, much less political parties. It's like, I'm Jesus. And it's interesting because, you know, when, when you start a church that meets in a school, it's weird to people who know things about church. I mean, people don't just start churches. You kind of, you take a church. 
And when I meet religious people in the community, or, or I meet a religious person on an airplane or at an airport, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. They say, what church? Journey Church International. They almost all, religious people always almost ask the exact same question. What denomination is it? Because before Jesus, they care about denominations. Because they've, that's what they know. And you have people who identify more with a denomination than with Jesus. And, and when I talk to Christians who are pretty churched people who come to our church, and they ask about our church, they immediately ask about what our church has for them. Well, do you have Sunday school? Do you have a wanted? Do you have upward? They ask about church programs. Like, what does your church have for me? Most Christians don't even talk about Jesus a whole lot. But when you talk to people who are truly unchurched, people who have no history of church whatsoever, they usually want to know about Jesus. They usually want to learn about Jesus. Jesus is the appeal to them. Not the church, not the denomination, not the ministry program. It's Jesus that's appealing to them. And I wonder when, as a body of churches globally, we'll quit worrying so much about the church and we'll start talking more about Jesus. You see, at, at our church, and you can clap for that if you want, or you, you cannot, it, it doesn't matter. At our church, and in our lives, our churches have to be way more about Jesus than journey, right? Do you get that? I mean, if our church is known by the name of our church instead of who our church rep represents, we have failed some way. You know, I, I was talking to Clayton King, one of my mentors who came and preached at our church, and such an awesome job, December 2, with 14 people that day who prayed to entrust their heart and their faith and their life to Jesus as best as they knew how. And Clayton asked me Saturday night at dinner, he said, what's one of your big fears as a pastor of a church that's about 15 months old? I said, here's my fear, Clayton. I fear that we'll have a, a church filled with people who really love the church, but they only nominally love Jesus. That would bother me as a pastor. If we had a, a group of people who really love their church, but they were kind of so-so on Jesus, that, that would bother me as a pastor. Because it's got to be more about Jesus. And what's so interesting, when you find non-religious people whose lives get touched by Jesus, they talk a whole lot more about Jesus than they do the church or the denomination or the program that introduced them to Jesus. In John chapter 9, we meet a guy like this. He was born blind and he couldn't see and Jesus came and he healed him and it kind of freaked everyone out. They were like, you know, well, like, how did that happen? And what was the pastor's name? And what was the denomination? And what kind of offering did they take? And how much did they give to missions? And like they were asking this guy all, this religious, all these religious questions. And he was like, I don't know. And they told him, well, what, what happened to you? Very simply, what happened to you? In John 9, 25, he said, listen, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's the only thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know much about church. I don't know much about theology. I don't know all the answers about denominations. Here's what I know. Like Jesus changed my life. I suppose I'll learn all that other stuff later. But here's what I know. Jesus changed my life. I feel like we have a whole lot of people who know a lot of stuff but have great difficulty talking about how Jesus changed their life. And as a church, we want to dig into where Jesus fits into our life. That's why next year, in February, we're going to kick off what will be my favorite series of the year. We're going to do a series on marriage. It's going to be great not only for married couples, but for those of you who are single who want to be married one year. We're going to talk about what Jesus says about marriage. We're going to do a parenting series in April for those of us who are parents or who one day will be parents. And we're going to talk about what Jesus says about leading your children. 
We're going to do a series in May. I'm really excited. The series is going to be called Take This Job and Shove It. And we're going to talk to people who hate their jobs, but they want to live for Jesus. And it's like, okay, like I hate my boss and everyone I work with, and my manager absolutely makes me miserable. And I don't even like my job, but how can I have an influence for Jesus in that environment? And we're going to talk about how Jesus impacts every area of our life so we can begin to live for him and so that we can begin to tell people about him. Because the announcement about Jesus was not, not only clear direction, but here's what we find out about the announcement of Jesus. Number two, it was ongoing. The only way anyone knew ever heard about Jesus is if someone continued to tell people who Jesus was, where he was born, what happened. If we're going to give clear direction, that's awesome, but we've, we've got to continue to give it, and it's got to be a part of our life story. Now, here's what's interesting. God allowed angels to begin the process. An angel told Mary. An angel told Joseph. An angel told the first group of people. If you have your Bible, hopefully you've kind of stayed with me. We're in Luke chapter 2 still. But here's what we find out in Luke chapter uh, 2 verse 8. It says, there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. That's going to cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is a Messiah. The Lord, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So God said, listen, I'm going to begin the process. I'm going to start spreading the word. But then everyone who ever finds out, their duty is to also tell someone else. Now, this is, believe it or not, the way this works in our life. And for those of you who are, I want to talk to those of you who maybe are brand new to the thought of church, the thought of God, the thought of Jesus. And here's the question I would have for you. If you could go back a thousand days, which is a little less than three years, could you ever foresee yourself sitting in this school, in this gym, at a church service, with a Bible, talking about Jesus? And if not, how did it happen? Is it possible that God has been arranging things in your life to bring you here today so the God part of it is just, just to get your attention and say, hey, I'm out there, so that someone can tell you about Jesus? Now, maybe you want to leave it to circumstance. Maybe you want to leave it to chance. Or maybe there is a God in your life who loves you so much that he arranged circumstances in such a way that someone could tell you about Jesus. See, God always begins the work, but then he counts on people to faithfully talk about Jesus. If we continue in Luke chapter 2, it says the angels came and told the shepherds, but look what the shepherds did in verse 17. When the shepherds had seen him, they, what are the next three words if you have your Bible? One more time. They spread the word. See, the angels told the shepherds, and then the shepherds told everyone they knew. When they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And then all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. And I bet everyone that the shepherds told went and told someone about it. See, the early church began, early Christianity was based on someone hearing about Jesus, having Jesus impacting their life, and then going to tell someone about what had happened. That, that's what happened. But so many of us today, we exist in a world where Jesus has truly changed our life, yet we tell no one. It's like, weren't you that blind guy? And it's like, it's none of your business. Well, like, how can you see? 
I'd rather not talk about that. I'd rather, I don't want you to judge me or be offended in any way, so I'm just not going to tell you how my life was changed. And it's like we can come in and out of church on Sundays and we never really even think about people who need to hear about Jesus. It's not even on the radar. You know, I wonder how many of us, and there was, I mean, there's like a team of probably 100 people who made ministry happen today at our church. From people who set up these lights, to the drums, to the Christmas stuff, to sound, to tents, to piping. I mean, there are so many people. I wonder how many of our people, greeters and parking people, stood outside, it's 25 degrees, stood outside waving to people. I wonder how many of us who serve thought today, I am serving so someone might hear about Jesus. Rather than thinking about, as my son, you know, I got to go greet today. Got to be an usher today. Got to do set up and tear down. I wonder how many of us, even in our spirit, who are serving so faithfully, are serving for Jesus. Because when we understand that somebody may be introduced to Jesus, we view everything differently. You say, how do you know that? Because of how you talk to me. I have people who will tell me on the way in, Christian, I invited someone to church today who's never been. Like, don't suck in your message, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I've had people say that to me. That, that's a direct quote. Don't suck, it's their first time in church. I've had people, <laughs> so this is your first time and I suck, I apologize. Um, I've had people email me and call me and stop by my house and say, hey, so-and-so is coming, it's their first time. What they're saying is, like, this is really important to me. Someone's coming who might not know Jesus. It's like, make it good. I want them to hear. What if we all had the attitude every Sunday that some might, someone might come who's never come before who might hear about Jesus, and we were just all on high alert? I had a girl in our church this morning grab me and say, Christian, I woke up today at 3 a.m., Felt like God was impressing me to pray for the church because somebody was going to be at church that like really needed to hear from God. It's like, that is unbelievable. What would our church look like if we were a church where everyone cared passionately about people knowing about Jesus? I have a, a mentor, pastor, friend of mine who pastors a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. His name's Daniel Floyd. His church's uh, name is LifePoint. And he writes a blog that I follow and he wrote this last week, and I, I read this, and I just thought, you know, I don't know that I could say the same thing about our church that he said about his. And it's because as a pastor, I, don't, I just don't think I've talked about this enough. Um, and, and they may or may not have it on PowerPoint. But he, here's a, what he wrote. It, it's a short blog. Uh, he said, at LifePoint, we've learned a very important lesson. Our people know how to invite, and they invite a lot. They're passionate about inviting. It's our responsibility to give them information so they can extend the invitation. We have learned to simply create tools so they can do what they do best. Our growth every year is a direct result of our people extending an invitation. Our large attendance during Christmas at LifePoint is a direct result of our people extending an invitation. This year, our church has created a new set of tools called the 12 Days of Invites. Beginning today and for the next 12 days, we'll release a new idea, tool, or inspiration. Studies have shown that mass marketing benefits little. However, when someone has extended a personal invitation, most people are likely to respond. This is also the time of year when people are most likely to respond to an invitation to church. There are many things we'll do this Christmas and holiday season that are important. There are things we will do that are significant. However, nothing is more important as this opportunity to see lives changed. See, what he's saying is our people have grasped the idea that Jesus is important. And if they will invite people to come hear about Jesus, that people can make the decision on their own. But maybe Jesus can still change lives. 
You know, I think about these shepherds. The angels told the shepherds, go see the baby. The shepherds then told everyone else. You know, every one of us has a shepherd in our life who told us about Jesus. Mine was my mom and dad. Some of you were your mom and dad. Some of you, it was a spouse. Some of you, it was your kids. Some of you, it was a coworker. Some of you, it, it was a neighbor. Think about it. Who was the shepherd in your life who, after they had seen Jesus, came and told you? Who was the shepherd in your life that helped you understand Jesus had been born for you? And who can you be a shepherd to to pass along the news of what has happened in your life? That's the way it happens. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like anyone who needs Jesus in their life, Jesus doesn't turn down anyone. But how can they call on one they've not believed in and how can they believe in something that they've not even heard of and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Paul's like, listen, everyone who needs Jesus, like Jesus is available to everyone. But then Paul asks you a question, what about people who have never heard about him? And his answer is pretty simple. We should probably tell them because if everyone who believes on the name of the Lord is saved, is changed, is rescued, and all people have to do is hear about it to make that decision, then our job, I guess our job is just to make sure they hear about it so they can make a decision. It's just one person telling another. Now, that still happens in the world today. There's this uh, South Korean rapper. I don't even know what his name is. Is his name Psy or Psy or that's him. I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. How many of you know who he is? Raise your hands. He has written a song. I don't even know the name of the song. I just know it's, it's that at some point you say Gangnam Style. So I call the song Gangnam Style. I don't know if that's what the song is called. How many of you can do the Gangnam Style dance? Honestly, raise your hand. Honestly, right now, raise your hand all over. I see that hand. I see that hand. I know. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, so he's got this little dance. You want me to do the dance right now? Some of you do, don't you? And he waves it around like that. Anyway, so now I'm charismatic. I'm dancing in church. So woo. Handle snakes next week. Um, I'm just kidding. I'll never do that. So this guy's got this crazy song that's in Korean. They're like, you can't even understand any part of it except, like, when he says Gangnam Style. And his hair is like vanilla ice, and he dresses like MC Hammer. I mean, he's just odd. But I went and checked this morning. He has a YouTube video of this song, which I would encourage you not to watch, especially in the presence of children. So I always have a disclaimer. I'm not saying good, this may not be good for you spiritually. However, it's there. It's been viewed as of this morning. It's been viewed on YouTube more than any other YouTube in the history of the world. It's been viewed as of today 1 billion 27 million times. Like one out of every six people in the world, if you would just do it statistically. 1 billion 27 million people have YouTubed this guy that they can't even understand because he speaks a different language. He looks weird and acts like he's riding a horse and then has a lasso. Why? Because people have told people who have told people who have told people who have put it on Facebook, who have tweeted it, who have Instagrammed it. Because we live in a world where information is social and, and people tell people stuff. Now what if we told as many people about Jesus as we told about Gangnam Style? What if there were as many people in our lives that we wanted to hear about Jesus as we wanted to see a YouTube video that we thought was, was funny? You know, in Acts chapter 17, we meet a group of people like this. They're in a town called Thessalonica, and so many people in this town have begun to hear about Jesus that this, this is what was said about him in Acts chapter 17. 
They were looking for Paul and the pastors who were starting this movement. They had already left town. Though It says when they couldn't find them, as Paul and his buddies, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren, these are people who were in the church, to the rulers of the city. And here's what they said. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and they're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king. Let me put this together for you. These people have turned the world upside down. What are they doing? They're all talking about Jesus. How as a group of people do we turn the world that we live in, Lee Summit, Cass County, Overland Park, for those of you from Kansas, Independence. How do we as a people, Blue Springs, I mean, we could name all the places that we live. How as a people do we begin to turn our world upside down spiritually? We talk about Jesus we don't talk about our church. Please don't talk about your pastor. Talk about Jesus. Because what Jesus has the ability to do in our lives and the lives of others is amazing. Now, I've not been a great leader. I would have prepared you all month long to bring someone with you tomorrow night. And it's kind of hard to pick up the phone today and say, come to church on Christmas Eve with me. But man, I want to challenge you. If you're planning to come as a family tomorrow night to our Christmas Eve service and take communion and kind of kick off Christmas by celebrating Jesus' birthday, maybe invite a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker with you. Maybe shoot them an e email or a Facebook or a text and just invite their family to come and maybe celebrate Christmas with your family at church. If it's too late to do that, maybe today is the day you begin to think of someone, you write their name down and say, how can I begin to tell them what Jesus has done for me so that they can make a decision about him as well? Or maybe... You are this person, and today's your day. Maybe God intended for you to be here today so you could hear that Christmas is about Jesus and that Jesus came to change the world one life at a time, starting with you. And maybe today is, like Matthew talked about, the day of your hopelessness that will begin to be turned around because you can begin to bring Jesus alongside you to walk with you in life and maybe begin to transform from the inside out who you are and what you're all about. I want to give you the opportunity to do that as we close today. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads where you are, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask that nobody be looking around just out of the privacy of this moment for people. You know, as people begin to reflect in their own heart and their life about spiritual things, as people begin to reflect about spiritual decisions that they need to make, as people begin to reflect about whether or not they want to start their spiritual journey, as people begin to reflect on who they need to talk to about Jesus, man, it can be a deeply intimate and private moment. So I just want to ask there to be no moving around. And you just allow everyone right where they are in their seat to reflect on their life and maybe their life with Jesus. And we're going to have two opportunities today to have a direct response prayer, which means I want to help you pray to do something direct and clear and purposed. The first is for people in this room this morning who have not began and developed a personal relationship with Jesus. For the men and the women in this room who, as they sit here today, have not asked Jesus to be their Savior. They've not asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins. They've not said, Jesus, I want to follow you. They've, they've not asked God to lead and guide their lives through who Jesus is. So 
For those of you, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute to pray to do that if that's how God is working inside your heart today. And then I, I want to pray specifically for you who have someone in your life, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone you teach with or someone your kids play soccer with, someone that you've like really wanted to see Jesus do something in their life but you've not known how to extend an invitation to them to hear about Jesus. And I'm going to pray specifically for you that God will give you an opportunity maybe in the next 24 hours, maybe in the next 90 days to invite someone to hear about who Jesus is and what he can do in their life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are in this room today, you've not yet begun your life with Jesus. Maybe no one told you. Maybe you had a bad experience in the past. Maybe you've been hesitant. Maybe you think you could do it on your own or you thought that till you came today. But after hearing who Jesus is clearly announced, you want him in your life? And you say, well, what, what does exactly that mean? I'm not even totally sure what all that means for you going forward, but I know what it means right now. I know that it means forgiveness. I know that it means direction. I know that it means guidance from God's word. I know that it means everlasting life from this point forward. If today you want to begin living life with Jesus and you've never done that, you can just say a simple prayer. Say, Christian, I don't really don't know how to pray. What if I get it wrong? I'll pray and you can just follow along. And guess what? You don't even have to follow along out loud. I'm not gonna ask you to speak words out loud. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. This is going to be between you and God right now. But if you're in here and today's the day to begin living life with Jesus in your heart and in your mind, right where you're seated, you pray these words, dear God. Today, after hearing who Jesus is, clearly announced to me, I want to begin living life with Jesus in my life. I ask today, by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'll trust in it, that Jesus would forgive me of my past and where I have violated who he is. I ask him to clean me up from the inside out, and I ask him to walk with me in the path of life that I am on today and every day moving forward. Today I commit my life, my future, and my eternity. I give it to you, God, in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would save me, change me, always be with me, and direct me now. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, 24 people have prayed that prayer in this church in the last three Sundays. You are by no means are alone if you prayed that prayer today. And here's what I want to ask you to do with nobody looking around but me. If you just prayed that prayer today to begin life with Jesus today, here, here's what I want to know, just so that I can celebrate. Just right where you are, would you just slip your hand up and just hold it up for three seconds and then put it down. Christian, I prayed with you. Yes, yes. Just slip it up and hold it up for three seconds. Christian, I just prayed with you. Now, for the remainder of you with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if there is someone in your life that you need to give the news of Jesus' birth to, you need to be a shepherd to, then here's what I want to ask you to do where you're seated, in the quietness of your heart, not out loud, but I just want you to pray for that person by name. 
If their name is Bobby, the prayer could be pretty simply this. God, give me the courage and the wisdom to tell Bobby who Jesus is and help Bobby's heart to be open to receiving what Jesus can do in his life. It's kind of that simple. Right where you are, all over this room, pray for that person, that family, that neighbor, that coworker, that family member, that husband, that wife, those kids in your life that you would be aware that it's your turn now to pass on the news that Jesus, the Savior, has been born. And he has changed your life and he can change the life of everyone who would call upon his name. Now, God, we thank you for what you've done in this church service and in this church, what you're going to do in lives as we move forward. We thank you for already the, the time we're going to spend together just kind of for one hour celebrating the birthday of Jesus tomorrow. Um, and God, I pray that you will minister to families this Christmas season. I pray for those who have lost a loved one, for those who have gone through um, a separation in their marriage or from their kids. I pray for those who, Lord, will, will have a, um, a difficult Christmas because of just life. And I just pray you'll comfort them on Christmas morning. Give them peace. Give them hope. Give them thoughts. Let them reflect on the blessings, not the things that have gone wrong. God, I just pray you'll minister to them so they have a great Christmas season as well. We love you. We need you. So I pray that you'll be with us this Christmas and New Year's holiday as we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.